Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus. Zen is your go-to for stress, relief and balance. And Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code SATINRETURNS. Enjoy! I think often men have their friendships with other men. They're built for comfort, not confession. We almost ring fence our male friendships for something else. And, and what it, often what intimacy looks like between men is not what it looks like between two women or a man and a woman. Often intimacy for men is almost the empathy of not going there. On this week's episode of Saturn Returns, I am joined by author, speaker, screenwriter and comedian Max Dickens. Max and I grew up together in the Isle of Wight and have been family friends for a really long time and so I was so excited to have him on the podcast. In this conversation we explore friendships because Max has recently written a book called Billy No Mates which explores the dynamics of male friendships. This is something I know many of you struggle with especially during your Saturn return as friendship dynamics shift. 
So I was really excited to have this conversation with Max to unpack the differences in gender and how we approach friendships. For instance, I found it particularly interesting how he told me that when men get together and they gather, it tends to be more of an escapism from their real life and they tend to orchestrate it around activities, whereas women tend to come together and dissect every aspect of their life. I know I do that with my female friends. As we've had many female guests on this show, I really enjoyed getting the male perspective on a really important subject. I hope you enjoy this episode and find it useful. Before we get into this episode, let's check in with our astrological guide, Nora. Saturn return and Saturn transits at times have the effect of confronting us with our life, but also with the knowing that we will all pass on. So the inevitable melancholy that comes with this means that we start to look within us at first, but then also around us. What are we connected to or more importantly, whom are we connecting with? The best way to navigate these waters of melancholy, loneliness, is to first acknowledge that yes, we're born alone and we die alone, regardless of who is around us. And in knowing this, there's a comfort, ironically, a true comfort to be found. For it's the only certitude we have, after all. And with that certitude, something else emerges, authenticity. And when we become our most authentic selves, we inevitably start to align with the kind of life we desire to live, but also the kinds of people we'd like to surround ourselves with, because even though life can feel long, it is incredibly short. And that's what Saturn reminds us of, of time and the gift of life we've been given. It teaches us to make sure that when we look back at our lives, that we've used our time and life force in the most sovereign manner, and that those we connected with those that we loved and lost, those we cried with and laughed with, that they would have been chosen with intention. Saturn also teaches us that although loneliness might blur our vision at times, it never truly means that we are alone. For all we are to do is to step out there and find those whose hearts have been yearning for the very same thing we have, connection. Max, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> uh, for the audience that doesn't know, Max and I have known each other. I mean, we've known each other since babies. Or pretty th- much babies, pretty much yeah. Babies. I was trying to think how old we were when we first met. Which was in the Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight, so... I was actually laughing when I was reading your book when you were talking about your dad and phone calls with him. <laughs> so I was like, well, I know him and I could imagine that. And two, that's kind of what... My dad's like a little bit. But before we get too into yeah. it, because you've recently written an incredible book, how's the whole experience been? It's been good. It's really connected with people, which has been great. And it's about a subject that I think we don't talk about enough. And I've tried to write a book about men, that the sort of bloke who would not engage in a conversation on this topic or on mental health more generally might lean in and go, do you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll try that because it's hopefully a funny look at the subject quite a serious subject yeah because our audience is quite heavily female but hi guys (laughs) but i think that this is such an important subject to talk about because it's giving it you know through a different lens yeah what made you decide to write about this we keep on not mentioning the subject (laughs) what about male friendship yeah yeah um so I wrote Billy No Mates because I had a personal experience which really surprised me. So I was 
planning on proposing to my then girlfriend Naomi and I went as far as going to Hatton Garden in London shopping for uh, an engagement ring with uh, Philippa and Hope my former flatmates in tow and we spent all day searching for this ring and finally we go and have a drink and then Philippa says to me so who are you going to have as best man and my mind went blank and I assumed well that's the Pinot Grigio talking or not as it were and I just can't think of anyone in the moment, but there must be someone, right? So I go home that night, get some paper out and a pen, and I make a list of all the people, all the guys in my life I might consider as best man. And when I looked down the list, I realised that I worked with half of them. We had little contact outside of that. And some of the other guys hadn't spoken to in one, two, three years. And I just thought, oh my God, where have all my friends gone? Mm -hmm. And I, whenever we hit a personal crisis, we leap into Google and like, am I mad? And I looked, looked it up and actually... This has been around for a long time, male friendlessness and men's friendship problem. And I thought, I want to try and solve this for myself. And then along the way, try and tell a story that can help men solve it for themselves in their life as well. Did you think it was a you thing as opposed to a, a male thing? Or did you connect those two quite quickly? It's interesting because loneliness doesn't look like me. Like if you're listening to this, I'm what, six, seven? <laughs> <laughs> not meant to laugh that hard at that uh, <laughs> I'm I'm 34 now I'm pretty outgoing quick to buy my round I'm not the archetypal person you think of when you think of someone who might go do you know what I'm struggling in the friendship department but increasingly it's true of a lot of people of my age and beyond so I was very busy I was busy with my girlfriend's friends I was busy doing family stuff busy with work so it wasn't like I felt completely isolated. It's only when I had to audit my social life and go, oh, who have I got who's meaningful and close to me? I realised that cupboard was quite bare. Which and I guess, like you say, people rarely actually kind of take that inventory to kind of go, actually, who are my really close friends? And, and especially if they're in a relationship with someone that kind of takes care of that side of things, which I think is common, but I don't necessarily think that always becomes gender specific to the role of the woman. I know that's kind of what you've uncovered, but I related to a lot of what you talked about in the book from my experience. Really, that's that's interesting. So I, I'd love to hear about that. Um, and especially around who runs the social world in a, in a romantic relationship. So I think that's like a key part of the conversation. When I looked at the research and you are kind of asked me was it did I think it was a me problem or a men problem mm. I mainly thought it was a me problem and I was quite embarrassed by it but the research I found really interesting so men have two main problems when it comes to friendship the first one is that while men might have a few mates so mates they play football with mates from the pub workmates they tend to lack intimacy in their friendships the properly close friends so as an example the Movember Foundation, which is a men's mental health charity, did some research recently, um, which estimated that one in three men had no close friends at all. And they asked that same group of blokes, how many people could you talk to someone about something, a problem, whether it be a health problem, work problem, relationship problem. And half of those men asked, couldn't think of anyone at all. Um, so that's that's one thing. The second thing is what sociologists call shrinkage, which is quite a boring word for something quite simple. Our social life, men or women, peaks in our 
late teens, early 20s. We might recognise that. It's quite a depressing thought. But if you look at the research, that's when we have the biggest social group. Mm. And it gets worse and worse as we get older. But is that because we get, life gets, you know, more and more serious and we have other priorities and then kids and blah, blah, blah. So suddenly they kind of take up yeah, less space. Or they don't have an, as much space anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest uh, limiting factor in social relationships is time, which is kind of quite obvious. But the kind of how close that relationship is was maybe what surprised me. But you're right. Like you hit 30, maybe you your job gets more serious. Perhaps you're in a serious romantic relationship. Some people have children. You have less time for friends. So all of us, our social world shrinks. Mm. But if you look at the sex difference there, it happens a lot worse for men than it does for women. So in generally in our 20s, men have a bigger social network than women on average. By the time they've got to their 40s, that's flipped on its head. And when this gets serious is at the pinch points in life. So if you look at, um, for example, when men might get divorced or might suffer a bereavement or when they retire, they suffer worse mental and physical health outcomes than women because they are more isolated. And you mentioned earlier about who, who runs the social life in a couple, generally, and this is not true of everyone, but it's certainly true of me. And if you look at the research, it's true for a lot of men. Men treat the women in their relationship like the HR department. <laughs> I love that. When you <laughs> they should have outsourced everything and like, you handle that. I'll be over here watching sports. What did you say about if you were really honest and you introduced your girlfriend, you would say you'd like... say, if you introduce your girlfriend at a wedding, you'd say, this is Claudia, my wife and the director of people operations at Jeff Limited. <laughs> Um, but this is, I think we recognise this in Beyond Relations. I thought about my my parents and sociologists who study this call it kin keeping. Essentially, kin keeping is who does the work of keeping families together, right? So mm. who organises Christmas? Who organises the family holidays? Who makes sure that they check in with Auntie Sal, who's just had a mole removed, right? It mm. tends to be tends to be the women in the it's world. not the man and it's not the man ever <laughs> and then this extends into like the social world and i realized i've been going out with naomi my now wife for a few years and i just thought wow i've just essentially cuckolded her social group and her mates are now my mates mm. and i've stopped making any effort with my friends and this is not always terrible a lot of her friends are, are not a lot of them all her friends are uh, apart from sal you are a nightmare <laughs> Sound number two, two sounds going on in this conversation. Um, but it's not necessarily healthy that because men often lean on women for all that support, whether it be socially or emotionally. Um, and it's interesting, I think, you, you say like a, a lot of the listeners to your podcast are women. And I think women invest a lot more in this stuff in terms of personal development. I feel like these conversations, and that's why I'm so glad you're here, are so important for men, if not more so at the moment mm. than for women, because women are constantly having them with each other. But I don't think it's that men don't want to, it's that they don't create the spaces for it. Because you know, if we bring it back to what you were just talking about, when our social lives are much bigger, let's say, and we have more mm. friends when we're in our teens to early 20s, it's because we're all also, I think, going out a lot more, going to parties. So you're seeing a lot of people all the time. Mm. So I was thinking when you were saying that, I was like, it's changed a lot for me, not only because I've got other responsibilities, but my lifestyle choices have changed. So 
when I'm not like, if I'm not going out and drinking, it means that I'm more inclined to want to see people one-on-one for a more, you know, proper conversation rather than going to a party where I kind of feel a Mm. bit uncomfortable. And you spoke about sort of the discomfort of of parties, but I don't, I feel that myself. Yeah. And then the kin keeping piece, which, you know, Max just explained was keeping, you know, relationships going and family and organizing the things. I was like, I have kin keepers in my life, but I'm not one of them. And I can honestly name them. I have like two, two, probably three main kin keepers who are all female, Mm. who are sort of my lifelines to society. And if it wasn't for them, I would just probably stay in on my own and watch Netflix all the time. (laughs) So it's interesting because I related to a lot. So I wonder like how much of it is, you know, the sex biology piece, and we'll get into whether it's just so socialized or how much it is biology, or also come down to like personality traits. Yeah, it definitely does. So one of the world experts at this stuff who I have spoke to several times, it's a guy called Dr. Robin Dunbar. So he's an <laughs> evolutionary anthropologist by training, but he's regarded as the godfather of friendship research. So he looked at personality type and how it affects this stuff. And introverts have a much smaller social group than extroverts. But what's interesting about the difference here as well is that if you think about the amount of social time and energy you have, extroverts tend to spread it thinly around lots of people. And that's what they want. Lots of relationships, not necessarily very deep, strong ones, but they like hanging out with lots of different people, changing it out all the time, which is fine. Introverts tend to apply that time and energy in a much more concentrated, intense way. So they'll have a few much closer relationships. So it's interesting you talk about you don't attend so many parties anymore. You sort of opted out of that a little bit. I completely understand why. <laughs> Are you making a personal reference? I completely understand to- why you wouldn't be invited to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's why people start podcasts, by the way, is they, you know, no one's invited exactly. to parties. No one with a good social life has got a podcast, guys. Come on. It's a load of losers. Not really. (laughs) But then you mentioned you've got more one-on-one friends and you like having those conversations more in depth. And so personality type's a big thing. And I think a big thing connected here is you say party versus one-on-one is context. So I notice a lot lot of the way men often socialise will be around the pub or around a sport or an activity. Activity, yeah. Yeah, and that... that, You you literally are not going to have enough one-on-one moments or space to talk about something beyond what you're doing often. But that's intentional. So we're now kind of getting into like causes. So men seem to have a friendship problem. So like, why is that? On the one hand, it's like, well, why are men not talking about not able to have these intense conversations. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's like, well, maybe it's something to do with masculinity. So it's, you know, we will not be intimate with a, another guy because we conflate it with maybe it being gay yeah. or it being feminine. Maybe we are ashamed of talking about things which make us look not strong or not competent. And and then there's this theory, psychologists I spoke to or therapists I spoke to said, you know, if men can have better conversations and learn how to, inverted commas, do intimacy, then that will help them have much better friendships. I actually went to, uh, talk about investing yourself, I'd never done therapy before in my life. And I was not cynical about it. I just thought it's not really for me. It's for someone with a very, it's just, you've got something serious going on. I thought, I'm fine. 
I've just got no friends. Absolutely healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Completely normal. <laughs> but it was in the lockdown. So I started doing these weekly therapy sessions. And after about four months of being having these sessions, and I thought slightly going in circles, the therapist said, the thing is with you, Max, is you can talk about anything in an intellectual or a funny way, but you, your friends don't think you can ever go there with them. So mm. they don't think if they shared that you could reciprocate. Because you don't present yourself in that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Then she said, so it's no wonder that you don't have any friends. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's a bit of a haymaker. Because <laughs> after four months, I could hardly like deny mm-hmm. like there was, there was sufficient evidence for that. And you sort of, I liken it to being kicked down a staircase, you're sort of falling down this spiral staircase, going right back into your past, going like, oh yeah, maybe there is <laughs> a lot of truth to this. So a lot of this is about vulnerability and being able to do that, going first with that and permissions. So in a conversation with another guy or a group of guys, what is the permissions there? And often the permission is not there to talk about anything beyond the superficial because you're bantered back into shape. So I think a lot of the male way of relating is around humour and around quite aggressive humour. And that Mm. can be brilliant it can be its own form of intimacy one of the best things and which also you know can bring obviously in a healthy dose a lot of joy because it can be quite amusing and I've experienced it with male friends when like I've got I once ended up in a situation I went on holiday with just a group of guys did you and it was when I'd just gone sober as well and I knew they were all quite aggressive drinkers and I was like oh my god this is gonna be so and I didn't know half of them (laughs) I thought it would be really challenging but we had so much fun but whenever I would like try and like engage in the things that I talk about, they'd be like, just just don't take life so seriously, Kaggle, right? Like, just, <laughs> just calm, calm down. But actually, that's really what I needed. So it's kind of, you need a balance of the two, but they also were just like, let's not talk about the serious stuff. But actually, I needed the silliness, you know, because I didn't have enough of that in my life. So Yeah, that's really, that's a brilliant story. And I think a really good illustration of how complex this thing is. So when I when I spoke to loads of people when I was writing my book and I spoke to men and women and I said, what do you like about being friends with blokes? What do you like being friends with the opposite sex? And women would often say, the reasons I love being friends with men and how a lot of my best friends are male is all the things that the psychologists were saying is yeah. what is wrong with men. He said, yeah. oh, men are obsessed with humor. They do, all they do is play games all day. They do everything shallow, it's simple, it's uncomplicated. And there's a real sort of tension there because I was being told on the one hand, this is not what you're going to... Not be like that. Yeah. yeah. And then a lot of women are being like, ah, That's what I like it. you. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but the, the, the way I liken it is, can you go through the gears? Hopefully now I've learned I can go to fourth and fifth gears if I need to in a conversation with a man, a woman, whatever. So I can go there. But you don't always want to be in fourth and fifth. Sometimes you want to idle in third. I'm just getting very specific. This analogy. <laughs> Sometimes you want to, you know, <laughs> do a first you know, park. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, whoa! Yeah, where traffic are we lights. Now? It's amber. Get it into first. You're going to stall. <laughs> also, it's about knowing how to go there with someone else. And I, I know from guy friends that are kind of going through a similar thing that you're talking about and trying to test the water with their male friends. That perhaps the the normal way of communicating is very much. Like banter, just it's like such a diff, like an automatic thing because I've heard them on the phone. I'm like, that's it switches, <laughs> but then trying to develop a deeper sense of intimacy often gets 
I don't want to say rejected because I don't think it's that conscious, but there's a lot of resistance there because I think, you know, our ability to relate intimately with another is a correlation in a mirror to how we can relate intimately with ourselves. So if if you want to go there and I don't have the capacity, I'm going to push that away. And I think that that can be quite stalling for men because then they think, oh, well, that just got rejected or I tried to open up this conversation and I got it got shoved back mm. so i don't i don't feel safe to kind of bring that to the table anymore so was that something that you found when you tried to kind of exercise this yeah absolutely um i think you're absolutely right it's got to start with yourself you've got to, first you've got to do this sort of inner work what a phrase you've got to do that stuff so you're able to go there and you have the vocabulary of intimacy you said not being able to say the word vocabulary <laughs> ironically <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got, to, you've got to be able to do that. But you're right. If it's not going to be honoured by the other person, if you don't feel there's that thing between you where you have that permission, and it starts, I think, with people turning towards your vulnerability and listening to it and not shaming it, maybe responding to it with their own. There's this idea that comes from Aristotle, who was like, obviously, ancient Greek philosopher, still regarded as one of the major thinkers historically about friendship. He says... One of the things about friends and why, why it's so important in terms of our development and so important in our life is friends are mirrors. Mm. So we get to know ourselves through what is reflected back in our friend. And like we get a lot of self-knowledge through that, a lot of insight, whether it be on our problems or on who we are. But I think that analogy is slightly, it's not quite right. It's almost right. Because if you think about what people are, is we can often only reflect back what we're capable of reflecting back we tend to reflect back in our own image, in our own warped in image. So often, I think, in, in male groups, if it's guys who haven't done that transformation to be able to do intimacy, change that relationship with themselves, like you've said, what will be reflected back about you will not show you in your multiple dimensions. And that's when I think you tend to have a relationship which is only based on one version of yourself. So to kind of put it back to women again, obviously I knew you growing up and we grew up together through different summers. And my kind of memory of of social groups then is that even in our teens, boys would seek out girls to have those conversations with because they wouldn't have them with blokes and they would lean on the women in the social group which is is fine and it's kind of uh, a nod to how much men see that emotional acuity in in women but actually that they need it there is a part of them that needs that and to communicate that way absolutely but the point is it's then saved exclusively for often the relationship yeah it's saved for your romantic relationship or for your female friends and that i think puts a lot of burden on on the women like i've got a friend called philippa who will Is this often, the one you lived with? I lived with, yeah. Um, but she's always like, she texts me going like, I think you should call Tom. I think Tom needs to have a conversation or you should chat to Clive. Clive's made up. <laughs> <laughs> but but she's saying like, because they'll confide in her rather than confide in me or she's like the, the switchboard. As in you're talking about each other to her. Yeah. Oh, right. And she's just like, she's like, nice. oh, I've got shit to do. Just <laughs> yeah. fucking pick up the phone. Absolutely. Pick up That's the phone so and do it yourself. And it, why don't you? Well, I'm doing it more and more. But I think often men 
have their friendships with other men, they're built for comfort, not confession. Mm. So it's a mixture of what we've kind of spoken about already. Like, do I feel there's permission there? But also we almost ring fence our male friendships for something else. And and what it, often what intimacy looks like between men is not what it looks like between two women or a man and a woman. Often intimacy for men is almost the empathy of not going there, keeping it simple. Like you mm-hmm. said about the holiday, it's like this... This is uh, not that space. Exactly. And I think holidays are a great metaphor for actually. Like when you yeah. go to the pub with mates, like we're on holiday here, guys. I don't want to talk about my marriage. I don't want to talk about my kids or work. I want to talk about crisps. Who remembers Golden Wonders crisps? Because <laughs> you say in the book how, you know, when you and I've seen I've seen a famous comedian have a similar thing on on stage about when he goes to the pub and comes back and the and the wife is like so what's going on with Paul what happened with Mike is he like having another baby and the guy's like I have no idea <laughs> talk about that at all <laughs> but then what do you talk about what do crisps? we talk about we talk about crisps what <laughs> <laughs> This is, this is the amazing thing is you can leave a conversation with, with men or uh, one, your male friend and go like, oh God, we filled three hours with stuff. <laughs> I can't remember any of it. Is there ever a part of you in those moments that's like, I really wish I could talk about this, but I don't feel I can? Or is it more like you're on holiday? So this is the thing is often there is, yes. And I think I've started thinking about this a lot more since I turned into my 30s and beyond. And now when, I, when I'm with male friends, it feels like we're playing with more stakes. Mm-hmm. So there's bigger stuff going on. A uh, friend the other day, he had like a cancer scare, had to have something, you know, a thankfully benign tumour cut out of his neck. Somebody um, lost, a, lost a baby uh, with his partner. You know, big stuff. So if you can't handle those conversations, then that's not great. And actually... While the male form of intimacy, I think, is underlooked in conversations about this, I do think the other form of really feeling like you're known by the other person, they know you, does require vulnerability and reciprocated vulnerability. So it's absolutely a key part of that. And I don't think, and when I spoke to developmentary psychologists who, how do we become like that? That's kind of the question. So any study going pretty much will say that men are less emotionally expressive than women. But it's question, not that they're less emotional. Well, no, I don't think it is. So why do they, why do they, or why are they more reluctant, or why have they not developed that vocabulary? <laughs> <laughs> oh he did that God. one on pub. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get, we'll let you have that one. Yeah. <laughs> so so drunk. Um, is it because we don't socialise them? And there's quite a lot of interesting research around this. Is biology versus yeah yeah. so then that's kind of that's the second thing i looked at then so if it was about culture and how we bring up boys and how we treat men and represent men in society i think that's a big part of it and Mm -hmm. certainly my therapist was sort of trying to work with me on that stuff and explore all of this and i kind of get into it in more depth in the book then the second thing is is um kind of came to me like the second cause that i thought we needed to look at it was the research on men and friendship, they started measuring all, all this stuff. So social networks, kind of early 70s, social scientists start looking into it. And since then, men have had less friends than women, especially less close friends, as we've kind of covered already. But it's not got better. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a lot of people recently, and it's not just the pandemic, have talked about a, a friendship recession for men. So it may even be getting worse. 
But if it was about masculinity, if it was about culture, we can see it all around us. Men have got a way to go on that journey, but men are very different now. I think about even when we were teenagers, the kind of male role models were like very like laddie. It was like the lads mag generation. I remember like FHM, Maxim. Mm, Maybe you yeah. weren't reading those. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a good... Nuts that, and Zoo. Uh, <laughs> you're a fan of the last genre, uh, How many you? do you want? <laughs> do you feel that feminism feels like it keeps men out or it brings men in? I mean, just within the name, it obviously feels, could feel exclusive to one sex but obviously that's not what it's supposed to be and it kind of brings me into you know you spoke a little bit a second ago about the archetypes of masculinity Mm. we speak a lot on this about the archetypes of the feminine Mm. but what we're talking about right now is like how do we have a balance of both of those things and allow them to coexist within all of us and it just seems like the balance is a little bit off and that just doesn't go down to the individual or the culture it's like a universal thing i believe yeah absolutely and why is that firstly i think it's semantics there isn't an equivalent of feminism manmanism <laughs> what's that <laughs> Good luck meninism that should have been the title meninism yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have a thing but also i think because feminism has been about, rightfully... Well, I guess the thing is the patriarchy. I mean, exactly. So you've got... That old thing. the patriarchy down <laughs> with feminism. So obviously we're going to create a bit of friction along the yeah, way. Yeah, and a lot of men are a bit pissed off about it. <laughs> um, so, but the point of feminism largely was to, to about the patriarchy, to try and make things more equal, to change how women are seen so they can be seen as people who don't only have relationships and families and babies, but they have careers and do whatever they want. And that's been really important. We're now coming out into a new phase, I think, which I think you've articulated is a bit confusing, where we need to maybe shout a bit more about some male archetypes and celebrate those. And that's what I mean by changing the tone and being a bit more inclusive. And that's not the same as saying feminism is bad and wrong and we should stop talking about that. We just need to broaden it out and understand that equality, gender equality, is also about areas where men aren't so equal. So Andrew Tate's audience have had all the legs of their life pulled out from under them and have just been left behind. So they're listening to Andrew Tate on TikTok or they're going on voting for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big thing. And I think connected to this is, I think it's also become untrendy to think about sex differences that are more innate. So it's become not conventional to talk about some sex differences and some of these do exist in the social world. And I think they're quite important to talk about. So it's related back to men and friendship. If we don't honour these, we can't solve the problem as men and also as society. So it can't just be culture because men's friendships have been problematic for decades Mm -hmm. and it's not getting better. So it must be something else as well and these things interlink. I mentioned Robin Dunbar earlier. He's looked at the differences between the male and female social world and there are some quite profound differences. One, for example, is in best friendships. And this is kind of a microcosm of the broader pattern. That's why I'm going to kind of introduce it. So if you ask women to name a best friend, they'll often be able to name a person who they're like, oh, that is my best friend. And often they'll know that person more intimately than they know their romantic partner. Mm-hmm. If you ask a guy who's your best friend, they'll probably go uh, and name four or five people that are quite interchangeable, more like a team. And they certainly won't know them better than they know their romantic partner. So the model of male friendship in the male social world is the club. It's much more casual. And Female friendships tend to be 
face-to-face -face based around sharing talk and emotional disclosure. These are all averages, by the way. It's not to say that there aren't other friendships as well. Male friendships tend to be side-by-side -side based around sharing space and especially activities, so doing stuff together. And they've looked at studies on men versus women in terms of what makes a relationship last. For women, talk is crucial, and that can be on the phone, it can be face-to-face, -face, whatever. For men, talk is almost... Futile. Almost futile. And you think that's a cliche, but it's actually borne out by these longitudinal studies. But is that because they can't have proper conversations? So their conversations on the phone would be like talking about crisps. And then they're like, <laughs> I didn't gain anything if, from that. If you ring up a bloke, if, if a friend rings me now, I'm like, okay, <laughs> who's died? So what's up? I'm like baffled. I'm just like, also, men don't send each other voice notes. I get voice notes from my female friends. Like podcasts. Freddie does. Freddie sends voice notes. He does, yeah. <laughs> he loves a voice He loves my a voice brother. Yeah. He loves a voice note. <laughs> yeah. Um, I sit down with a cup of tea when Fred sends me a voice note. <laughs> a donut. Really get in for the long haul. Have to make notes to come back to it. I also forget how it started. But he's an outlier. This is, that's a good he's example. An <laughs> This is an example, perhaps, how like a lot of these things are averages and it's not true for everyone. But for men, if you want your relationships to, to last and if you want to get them back on track, a key thing then is building these activities back together, these um, structures. And I realised that for me, I had to have, do intimacy on the first hand. The second thing I had to do was, it was like a rewilding project. All these activities and shared spaces I'd lost with the men in my life, I had to try and Re rebuild that you think about when is our social life the best school mm -hmm. university when we're all going to the same place yeah and doing the same things these like closed loops these repeated unplanned interactions these to an extent shared vulnerabilities those are when it thrives and we often lose that when we become adults so this is true for everyone it's especially true for men is to get those activities back and that's then is the balance between the culture and, and the more innate factors. But you're right. How do we know men couldn't have better conversations if they were better at them? So that's what we, the balance between these two things is what's controversial and what we don't agree on. But they're both relevant. Mm, you, you mentioned earlier about how for male friendships, it's comfort, not confession, which mm. I, I think is so, such a great line. And also, you know, I've noticed from my, female friendships, like it's confession most of the time. But the value in that, because it holds me accountable in so much, because also it's friendships that are able to call me out on stuff mm. and that I can share th like my most intimate things with and they'll be like, you know what, actually you should have done that differently. And it's from like such a loving place. But I often reflect after those conversations and just thinking, wow, like having some friends that can hold you accountable for your own sort of personal development is such an amazing thing. Do you think that men also have that desire to have that with each other? Because I mean, I'm gonna, I wanna say something that's a little bit controversial and probably not true, but in terms of if a man is in a relationship, like let's say a long-term relationship, mm. but there's a lack of intimacy there because they're not able to have the hard conversations and then he doesn't have space for that in his male friendships, he often then goes and seeks something externally from the relationship like having an affair or something like mm. that which you know thinking about that is that a reaction to the fact that there isn't actually anyone to speak to about whatever might be troubling them uh, that's almost certainly a factor what's quite interesting is the differences in patterns of male and female mental health which i think is also connected here 
generally female mental ill health is internalizing its depression, its anxiety disorders generally. Male mental ill health is shown by acting out and it's often shown by drugs, booze, sex. So mm -hmm. you talk about an affair. And escapism. Escapism. And that's how they're showing they're in trouble. If they could talk about it, I think they absolutely would not get to that point. So you talk about a relationship, a man seeking sex outside the relationship. I mean, that could have a number of causes, obviously, but a big one would be it's almost a cry for help. It's mm -hmm. like, and also I think this is something that came up a lot when I spoke to psychologists, is because men, for intimacy, men is so conflated with sex. Mm. If we're not experiencing intimacy emotionally, will think, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll go and have sex, because that will be... I'll get sexual intimacy, yeah. Yeah, and... And that will fill that void enough. Absolutely, and so, and so one psychologist I spoke to said, he spoke a lot with male clients in his therapy practice who were, who'd had problems with, for want of a better phrase, sexually abusive behaviour. So it's like, at work, misreading signals from women, because maybe women were like, being emotionally vulnerable, and he's like, oh, all forms of intimacy equal sexual intimacy, and then would misread that. And I think it's a lot of reason why men find physical affection or even emotional intimacy with other men difficult is because we go, oh, but that's a bit sexual, isn't it? Because yeah. it's all in one big pot of intimacy. But it doesn't, it's not to say that there isn't a desire for that. And that's the problem. So I talk about this a lot in the book about, so when you ask men about their close friends, They'll often say, I don't see him very often. We don't talk about stuff. But i tell you what, when things go wrong, I know for a fact he'll be on my doorstep in an instant to help me out. He'll drive me in the middle of the night to an airport. God, I don't know, this guy's got to leave for a flight. <laughs> yeah. This guy's James Bond. Or, or, or you know, he's, if, if, you need, if you need eight pints of blood, this guy will show up and give you the blood, right? Mm -hmm. And they talk about their friends in almost... They're in moral terms as, as, as loyalty, as in like, you know, I know they'll be there when the shit hits the fan. But I don't think friendship should only be the fourth emergency service. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? And I, when I was reading your book and you were saying how the importance of what women do in, in nurturing friendships and relationships constantly with little gestures that say, I value you, you're important to me. I'm actually really bad at doing that. And I'm probably, I um, relate more to the sort of, I guess, male view on it that for me, I'm like, friendship to me is like, if, if you need me to bury your body, I'll be there. But otherwise, like, we don't have to speak for a few months. Yeah. But some of my female friends have actually called me out on it and they've said, you know, you're not showing up enough or we, I need more from you. Mm. And it's, I found that really confronting because mm. I've, internalized it firstly as a criticism but then afterwards I'm like you know it goes to it goes back to what you were saying about how things can slip away if then like no one says anything or maybe you said it in the book yeah. but how you know I would probably be inclined to let that happen because I wouldn't be making those little gestures and that effort because I'm like but if you know if you needed to body buried I'd be there <laughs> but they're like that's not enough they could use an undertaker <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. And but, so I've had to yeah. actually adjust my behavior. So it's about affection mm. and what does it feel like to be in the friendship, not just what is the friendship instrumentally for. Mm. And I think a lot of the times you've got no idea. Like, 
I don't know if I mentioned in the book, but I knew a guy called Ollie. I met him at, when I was 13 at school and I realised I'd known him for 20 years. And I was like, I've got no idea if this guy even likes me. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's like, when I'm with him, he shows no kind of like, no interest. sign he likes me, <laughs> no interest. We see each other fairly regularly. And I sort of realised I've not done the same to him either, but I definitely like him. And he definitely likes me. It's just we can't articulate it. And I started being more front-footed with being affectionate mm -hmm. and literally saying, I like, well, I like you. you. And he was like, oh, mate, you've got the wrong idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm not looking for that. <laughs> now, can you bury this body? <laughs> Hit and run. It's a disaster. <laughs> Wait, so what happened when you started being a bit more... I noticed that he started doing it a bit more in return. Mm -hmm. And when I really noticed it was he asked me to do the best man role for him. Oh, wow. And, I mean, he did it in a very male way. Like, he was like, he left it literally a week before. <laughs> and his, his fiance was like, you've got to ask this guy. It's like a week before. He was like, uh, yeah, so I um, wanted if you do a speech at, uh, at my wedding. I was like... Right, like the best man. Like, <laughs> yeah, like the best man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm. Am I the? Am I the best man? Yeah. Yeah. You had me a spade. No. <laughs> but it's like you know, why does that have to be so uncomfortable? Yeah. Um, That's really sweet, though. Yeah, a lot. Of, this comes up a lot. Somebody said to me the other day, a guy said, "I've never felt like my best friend's best friend." I think it's true for a lot of male-male relationships. Another one... Because uh, it's not said. It's unsaid. And it's not demonstrated in those little things. Um, and what all, are those little things for men? Or what could they be? Yeah, that's a really good question. I spoke to a, a psychologist called Dr. Marissa Franco the other day, and she said affection's really important, but it's also got to be calibrated to how the other person wants to receive it. Mm -hmm. So men are probably not going to want to be sent little cards, little chocolates in the post. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. I think it's little things like going compliments that are specific and direct with a bit of eye contact. Mm -hmm. um, checking in mm. regularly and going and, and being the one who is proactive in that, I think, shows a lot of affection. Doing the work of organizing things and inviting someone along is important. And that's one of the things that I thought was quite moving about giving that speech was it's very rare that I would have the chance to talk in an affectionate, sincere way mm -hmm. about another man. Yeah. I mean, it did start with five minutes of like, you know, banter. banter. <laughs> so when he was in tears and um, I'd been asked to leave the stage several times, <laughs> I didn't say that. And also, He's what, nice a, guy. What, a, what a good bloke. Anyway, uh, a toast to Dr. Bantz. But enough about me. <laughs> I feel like we can't have this conversation without touching on, you know, the very sad statistic about male suicide, because that must have been something that has come up a lot in this research. Yeah. So the stats are pretty well known by now. Three out of four suicides are by men. And I think suicide is remains the biggest killer of men under the age of 45, mm -hmm. certainly in the UK. But I think it's pretty common across the Western world that suicide kills way more men than women. So there is, I, the Samaritan suicide report cites male isolation as one of the biggest risk factors in male suicide. So men have less forms of 
all forms of social support. So whether that be family, friends, community, and it's a big issue. They often talk about it as that's why there's often a big build effect in male suicide and that because you don't have that place to talk about stuff, you maybe will let things get to a point where you do something quite extreme. Now, suicide, I should say, is really complex and I don't want to generalise about it. But I think also if you look at the links between loneliness and depression and anxiety, they're pretty well established now. So this is very much connected to the mental health conversation. Interestingly as well, it's connected to physical health. So if you look at what kills people, um, smoking 15 cigarettes a day is less bad for you than being lonely. Being morbidly obese is less bad for you than being lonely. Drinking excessively is less bad for you than being lonely. So, I mean, the upside is you get some mates who go nuts. But that, you know, we are wired for connection. And obviously the pandemic was such a struggle for people in that sense, because we were all so chronically lonely. And mm. actually, I, I mean, I don't want to go into all of that, but the way that we dealt with it and not recognizing the consequences of isolating people and, and then becoming so lonely, I find very strange to just overlook. Yeah, so this was like the third thing I looked into we could talk about this for hours, is that increasingly the world is unfriendly to friendship and to other forms of social connection. There's lots of factors here. We're spending essentially more and more time with a smaller and smaller band of people. So families, for example, used to be extended families and you know, the old saying that you take a village to raise a child. Now there's a nuclear family, so it might be a husband and wife and a baby, or you know, and they are very much closeted in their home. Um, we, we tend to live quite far away from where we work and socialize quite far away from where we live there's also a thing called a decline in third spaces so sociologists call a third space something that's not home or work but in between a church would be a third space uh, a gym might be a third space or, or a park there's less and less of these spaces and we're more and more choosing not to hang out in them as well whether it be because we're delving into content on netflix we're online all the time we're in our phones, we're withdrawing from the social world and the social world is being taken apart bit by bit in ways we're choosing to design cities and design. As a consequence of what we're developing through technology and design, but it's not an intentional one, obviously. I don't think it's intentional, but... We're just not valuing I, the importance of community. I, I don't think it's priced into how we think about this stuff. So... I, you might find this quite dull. I think I think it's quite an important point, though. I spoke to a well-known sociologist called Eric Klinenberg, who is experts in this, and he started reframing third spaces as social infrastructure. Why is he doing that? It's because when we talk about infrastructure, so government spending money, we're like, oh, well, obviously you need to build hospitals. Obviously you need to build, build schools. That's what they mean by infrastructure. But if you think about social spaces, they are as important for our mental health, physical health, our social health. But we don't really think about that. We're like, well... Why would we spend money on this stuff? But it's really important because all the scaffolding of friendship is coming down. And it used to be that we didn't have to be intentional about it. So this was my biggest learning on the whole thing is we have to be intentional now, deliberate in, in running our social lives. Men, as we've explored, are not very good at that. Mm. So their problems with friendship are exaggerated by the modern world where this scaffolding, which used to help us operate social lives that worked and replenished, is coming down. And I think we are quite short-sighted in how ambivalent we are towards that. 
the last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I've noticed when I've done live shows and stuff and, you know, my audience is mainly female when mm. in the room, um, a few men scattered around. But I've noticed that some of them have said that they've struggled to talk with their partners about these kind of subjects and found they've almost said like, oh, I don't know whether this is the right partnership for me because mm. I can't bring these things to the, the table. And my partner doesn't know how to have these conversations and so and and kind of dismisses them in the question if that makes yeah. sense and so i wanted to ask you about like for our audience that's listening how can they go about bringing this into their relationship whether it's with their romantic partner or their male friends that's a great question yeah i think the first thing people can do is is reassure their if they've got male partners reassure them that they want them to have a social life outside of the romantic relationship and often it can feel like a betrayal to kind of develop that and spend time outside of it I think it's really important for both people that happens but sometimes men need permission I think they also need a bit of a kick up the ass and saying like hey it'd be really great if you what you should text um Clive <laughs> he's back <laughs> you know you, you know and ch I think chivvy men along a bit I mean you shouldn't have to coach men but increasingly I mean men do need that kick up the backside I think to, to help men understand why it's so important to you, this work and this journey, is to filter it through the relationship. So without being too indiscreet, I didn't realise how important it was for me to explore and learn some of these tools until I got to a point in my romantic relationship where, you know, the feedback I was getting was, you know, you're not giving me what I need or we're having unhealthy conflicts or... I'm not entirely happy because of how you're having these conversations or because you're stonewalling and you're not investing. And I think this person you're with, they probably love you. Mm. And if they knew that you weren't feeling love because they weren't able to give it because of how they had these conversations and could process it, I think they invest in it because mm. they would be terrified of losing, losing you. With your partner, was she able to communicate that in like a gentle and kind way that allowed you to be like okay actually maybe this because I think often what I've noticed is it can be met with so much criticism and you know behind every criticism there is a mm. desire but so I think yeah that's an important piece isn't it because I think we think we're communicating this stuff but actually by saying you can't do that you're not doing this it's not actually communicating lovingly it's just criticizing yeah I mean it's a real thin it's a real delicate balance isn't it because it can easily get into the language of blame mm -hmm. I think the fact that my partner had done quite a lot of therapy before I'd engaged made me curious about it and made me more open to the idea and I kind of learned this stuff myself in I kind of learned my limitations through the process but it was having her encourage me and making it safe to engage in the process and say I think you'll get a lot out of this I'd really love you to try it or um, yeah, almost if you could gift it or well, it's like it's like giving the tools. Yeah, it's like we essentially have a lot of the tools because we've been you know socialized and we cultivate that in our lives. So we kind of need to hand the tools over to the men in our lives to be uh, like, hey, this is yeah, absolutely. I think it's also important to say though that there's been enough of women talked about king keepers, talked about doing the emotional labor, being the HR department. It's not on women to do it. It might be very sad in a relationship to feel like, oh, is this never going to change? Maybe, the, you know, sometimes men need to work that out for themselves and it's not they, it's not on you 
to make them go. To carry that burden. And it's actually often through relational breakdown that men go, actually, yeah. I, I did a lot of stuff with men's groups, mm-hmm. which is kind of a therapy practice, but with men, often in men's image in that it's about helping one another. It's not about inverted commas therapy. You're shoulder to shoulder, side by side. It's not one-on-one intense therapy experience. And men get a lot of value out of that. They get a lot of feedback. And for the men listening, how do they find those circles or that sort of brotherhood? Because it's like, if you haven't experienced it, where do you begin? So if you, I mean, Google the phrase men's group, you will find some locally. There's quite a lot of them. Um, I can name a couple now. Men Speak in London is very good. So I talk about them in the book and explore that. Um, Andy's Man Club in the north of England uh, do great ones. Um, So they're out there. There's quite a few of them. And... They often do very low investment starts. By the way, they're generally free or you know not very inexpensive. So therapy can be expensive. I appreciate that. But you can sh- go to a taster and it's quite straightforward. It generally starts with a two minutes of silent reflection. Some people call it meditation, but you basically sit in silence and then you do a check-in and you have to start with you know kind of an update on how you are. I statement, so you own how you feel. It's a no banter zone, which is quite transformative in itself. You get used to starting sentences with I feel rather than I think or, you know, pushing things into the abstract, which I'm still quite wary I do myself. And then there might be a topic. So you might talk about friendships one week or you might talk about how you deal with aggression or you might talk about body image or whatever it is. And then you often afterwards, some people go and have a drink and it lasts an hour. It's not full on, but a lot of men find that absolutely transformative. Podcasts is a great way of starting off and just role modeling some of it in your friendships. Um, there are some good good books as well out there. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining me and the audience on Saturn Returns. I really love this conversation. Thank you. There's uh, one more thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've got a um, I've got a body in my boot. <laughs> Honestly, that was like I don't know what you're going to so can you do me a solid and get rid we're obviously joking (laughs) thank you so much for listening to this episode of Saturn Returns and hearing this conversation between myself and Max I love how he can inject a lot of joy and humour into something that can be quite a heavy and complex subject If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend you think might find it useful or write us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us get discovered by more like-minded people. Thank you so much for listening and remember, you are not alone. Goodbye.